You're listening to the Sill Podcast Perspectives on Art and Technology with Peter Noche and Harry Posner. Episode 29 Relevance and Reliance Reclaiming the Invisible Every Man. Normally we do this in the studio, but today we've opted to try this over the telephone for the first time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's because I'm afraid he can. I don't like driving on sheer ice on the roads. Ah. You have to rely on your vehicle, and my vehicle is not me, and I can't control it very well. So, yeah. How's your coffee, Harry? Oh, it's so good today in this icy, rainy day. I'm really loving this. That coffee is so good that I'm actually smelling it through the telephone wires. (laughs) (laughs) I kid you not. The the fumes are coming in. There's this gray mist. There's a gray mist. It's almost like pixie dust. It's almost magical the way Hockley Valley coffee can do that. Yes. Wow. The dark roast or the medium roast? I tend to go to the medium roast being a kind of... um, you know, mediocre, uh, middle-of-the-road oh, middle kind, of the road of kind of guy. Tepid, tepid kind of fellow that I am. Yeah, yeah. my leaning's always to the dark. You lean to the dark side? Yeah, dark side. Dark <laughs> roast, dark side. <laughs> anyway, so... And, you know, we are reliant on our coffee. We are reliant on our coffee, aren't we? To yeah. Us, to get us going in the morning, to keep us going through the day. And how relevant so, is that? Well, it's very relevant to what we're about to talk about today. So, uh, Peter, what's your degree of reliance, and how do you see yourself in terms of all of those things around you that you rely upon? What's your experience of that? Well, my experience is that there's no question that my reliance on technology has increased in the sense that I utilize it more for more things, but I'm always conscious of it. So I always try, not always successfully, but I try to approach all the things that I have at my fingertips, I also look at it from the perspective of, can I do this without these tools? And I would say that the great majority of what I do, I could do without the tools that I have. The difference being is the amount of time that it would take. But I feel better about it in general because I know that I can still manage without it. Forget electricity. If you kill the battery on all my devices and I have no other source of power, they are irrelevant. (laughs) You know, we're talking about relevancy? Well, they're immediately irrelevant. Right, right. How about you? Well, you know, to me, the relevance and the reliance uh, combo really has to do with uh, habit and history. Mm -hmm. You know, most of us are reliant on our history to tell us what to do next. If I got burned going into that room last time, I'm not about to go into that room this time because history repeats itself. That's the mantra we always get. Right. And so, but we are very reliant nonetheless on what has happened before and determine what is relevant based upon history as well. And so that limits our freedom. And so I'm constantly struggling against relying on what was what came before so in the way of you know writing novels for example novels have been around 
as a thing since the you know 19th century or so. Mm-hmm. Uh, some a bit earlier, but around the 19th century was the heyday of the novel, mm-hmm. and that form is still there, floating around in our 21st century world, and it's a 19th, 18th century form that's just hung around. And nobody is bothered to, well, I shouldn't say nobody, people are now saying the novel is not something which is relevant to today's world. You know, today's world isn't a simple narrative with a climax and a denouement and structured in that way. Today's world is chaotic, it's image-driven, it's filled with all kinds of stuff that is thrown around willy-nilly, almost randomly. Like a kaleidoscope. Yeah, and that's the nature of how art should now work if it's going to reflect the world we live in, not some 19th century archaic form of writing. So you're referring really to the artistic form, not so much about the technology that assists you in creating that form. You're talking about the form itself. That's right. Yeah. Relying on the, the forms that have been given to you from your literary artistic predecessors. There's no reason I have to write a novel with that structure. There's no reason I have to follow that other than people are used to it and haven't been able to give up that reliance on that form. But that is gradually changing. More and more artwork is coming out that is more collage-driven, let's say, Mm -hmm. uh, more sample-driven. So let me ask you a more basic question in terms of uh, relevancy to current technologies. Uh, You were recently gifted from your wife an iPhone 7, which was a dramatic change from what you were using previously. Mm -hmm. Let's use that as an example. How relevant has it become in your day-to-day operation, and how much has it affected you, and what's your general view? Uh, There's no relevance attached to it. Uh, This is a thing I've got in my hand right now. I'm talking through it, and it's good that I can reach you through it and share some ideas, and I rely on it for many things in the course of my day. But it's not relevant to existence, my existence itself. You see, to me, relevance is a deeper thing Mm -hmm. than uh, what reliance will will point you at. I may be reliant on the object, but it's not relevant, ultimately, in terms of what my life means in the scheme of things. Exactly. It's a tool, as you've often said, it's a tool, and we use it in different ways. So I choose to use it in the basic ways of communication and that sort of thing. But um, relevance to me is a more philosophical, more metaphysical issue. And um, it's not all that relevant, frankly. Technology is there and it's ever-present now, everywhere. But it's not very relevant. What's relevant is what people have to say to each other, in my view. That's relevant. Yes. So that's interesting to me because... I kind of concur with pretty much everything that you said, but I know that it varies from individual to individual depending on their own position and where they are with technology and the rest of it. And more than technology, where they are mentally in general in terms of their own persona. But what you just described to me is in some ways a little bit more balanced approach. So that kind of thinking goes a long way to removing a lot of the stress that people experience with technology because you are now kind of pointing it in the direction of relevancy. And once you start looking at it from a relevant point of view and understand the degree of relevance, suddenly it takes away 
a lot of that power that we give it. Sure, yeah. To be able to put things in perspective, in other words. Exactly. Is what you're saying. Yes. And uh, so, you know, technology is everywhere, but it isn't everything. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. Right? There's, there's much more to life than what technology is necessarily going to be giving us. Yes. And so we have to be open to that greater reality. Uh, otherwise, we will be swallowed up and become completely reliant on the technology that surrounds us. And we will just continue to lose our sense of self, our soulfulness, let's say, mm-hmm. uh, and our ability to be free and act freely in the world. And we want to avoid that tragedy if we can do it. So what's your relevant thought? Who are we in the face of all of the technologies that surround us that we are dependent upon to get through our days? How much time we spend on social media relying Mm -hmm. on other people's facts and arguments and ideas? Mm -hmm. And where are we? Where's the individual in all that? Where's the self-reliant individual in all of that. We're so reliant now on other people to give us our ideas that we will swallow the most irrelevant facts as truth if they support our position on a particular idea. Mm-hmm. So um, let's say I'm politically left of center. Well, all those social media feeds that feed my left of centeredness no matter how relevant the comments are, how real even they are, mm-hmm. I'll go with that and I'll spend lots of time there because it supports my position. But I'm nowhere really there as an individual. My identity is given over to my left of centeredness politically, let's say. There may be a lot of uh, ridiculous innuendo and false statements about facts that aren't really real, but because it supports my political position, I tend to rely upon it for my view of the world and what's going on. Okay, so what you're talking about, though, basically is a reinforcement of what you're already thinking. In other words, you're relating to information that you're gaining from the Internet, whether it's Google searches, whether it's Facebook and so on. What you're saying is... The systems are being geared or designed to feed back to you more of what you're already thinking or believing. Right. In the same way that Google profiles people in order to fire back at them advertisements for products that they know they will probably like. Mm-hmm. So it's the same thing with political ideas and social ideas. You gather your friends around you and your social media platforms and they all kind of reciprocate your ideas and and support your position and Mm -hmm. go along merrily entrenched in your own political identity, let's say, without really exploring it and becoming your own person. So really, in some ways, you're also saying that what we really have to do is decide what information and what possibilities are relevant to the problem at hand. Well, I think we need to actually go beyond that, because often even information that is relevant to the problem at hand is still secondhand information. And it's not us. It's not us solving the problem. It's just us latching on to what sounds good. Mm-hmm. Right. So where is the where is the self-generated creativity in that? It isn't there. It's just and where's the identity? Where's our individual 
identity in that. Are you talking we're supposedly about- living in the age of individualism? But we don't. We aren't individuals. We're we're parts of social clubs primarily. So, are you talking about uh, group think versus individual think? Yeah, sure, absolutely. Ma- major, you know, look at the Me Too movement. It's not to decry uh, women who have been harassed sexually, etc. But the way these kinds of movements take hold. Uh, people don't think deeply about these things. They simply jump on the bandwagon very quickly because it supports their initial philosophy or position. Interesting. Not it, a lot of, sorry, Harry, go ahead. There's not a lot of individual thinking about these issues and debate, which is kind of intelligent. Interesting you should say that because just earlier today, I was having that discussion with a client with regards to the Me Too movement. And my basic uh, position on it was that I'm totally for what they essentially stand for, but there's a lot of areas where I think it's being too general. For example, the whole issue of degree, the degree to which you give something. So, for example, would you put some flirtatious activity where there might be some touching involved in the same category as rape? I don't think so. Mm-hmm. Right. So even though you can support something, there's a lot of nuance and there's a lot of detail that's being missed. It's like a broad paintbrush, leaving yeah. out all the details. You have to be yeah, able to differentiate happens, degrees, right? Yeah, and what, what, what's the result of that? The result of that is from henceforth, um, people cannot actually speak freely about their sexuality and men's and women's sexuality and how we relate to each other. It all has to be very, very careful and sort of thought through and prescribed. Mm-hmm. You, know, you can't anymore say to someone at work, for example, I really like your hair. Right. You know, Dorothy, because she could go to HR and say, he's sexually harassing me. He's sexually bothering me because he made a, a sexual remark. Mm-hmm. Right? So the question is, where does that end? Where does that end? Yeah, what's as the a writer, I want As a writer, I want to feel free to write a characters who run counter to the norm, right? I mean, that's mm-hmm. how you write, I think, interesting literature, is you go away from the norm and you see what else is there. But these kinds of movements impinge upon the arts in not good ways, I feel. Well, they basically, they impinge not only on the arts, they impinge on everyday conversations, on communications, on how we interact with each other. Right, and we don't interact with each other as individuals anymore, that's my point. We interact with groups of philosophies and viewpoints that are second-hand and derivative. We don't, each of us, evolve our own philosophical understanding of the world based upon our experiences and our unique and direct uh, engagement with people in the world, we basically rely on the past, on history, on what's already been written, and what's coming through the pipes mm-hmm. uh, every day, constantly. Fox, Fox. So, what's your story? I think about 2005 was when I first realized I didn't know enough about technology. Many of my friends used technology. They might have been younger than I, but they knew so much more about computers, and I really didn't. And I wanted to learn more. 
Even people talking about emails, I didn't even understand what an email was. And I really just felt left out of what was current, and I wanted to be part of it. My husband knew how to use the computer. He too would get upset and frustrated with it, and I would just try to keep him calm. But then later on, I thought, well, I need to keep up with the culture, and I felt really out of the loop. And especially when many of my friends, certainly at the book club and so on, would bring their computer, I would be writing with my pen and pencil and notepad, and they would be able to do things so quickly. That part also intrigued me, and I felt, wouldn't that be good to be able to get things down so very quickly? And also finding information was something that I felt I wanted to do. And as much as I hate to admit it, I am now 86. I feel better, much better, mainly because Peter Noche told me he could give lessons, and he did. And even though I still get frustrated, I've learned so much, more than I thought I would know about what's going on in the technology world. In fact, I'm quite fascinated with it. I just can't keep up as quickly as I would like to. Dolores Hind. Box, box. Most parents want to pass on to their kids the values that they grew up with. Yes. In a way, they want to pass that on as if their lives were that perfect. That their children should echo that、mm-hmm. uh, into the future, instead of encouraging them to expand their view or look elsewhere or bring something else to the table. Right, exactly. To find your own self in your own particular way, to carve your own path,、mm-hmm. uh, and to be more self-reliant, not to rely on your parents,、uh, on your siblings, on your friends,、uh, on your cell phone <laughs>、yes. for everything that you need to get through your day. We've already talked about the reliance on cell phones and on technology, and some of the deleterious effects of that.、Mm-hmm. And talked about how to try to balance that、mm-hmm. uh, in the course of a day. But we are being encouraged more and more and more to be more and more reliant.、Mm-hmm. And you know, we're talking、right. about relevance relative to problem solving or dealing with things. But I think today it's even more difficult to discern the problem itself. Let alone what's relevant to the problem. Yeah, yeah. How to figure out what is the most relevant aspect of any situation to consider? If I go into a, a classroom, say, full of screaming children,、mm-hmm. what's the most relevant thing about that classroom, about that situation that I should be thinking about and、mm-hmm. engaged in? We're not taught to discern what's the most relevant. Aspect of、right. the situation. We're not taught how to think clearly about any sort of situation we might encounter,、mm-hmm. and so we fall into habits and we act out of rote and out of history. And we've seen the result, which is just repeated patterns、mm-hmm. of violence and、uh, illusion and well, all kinds of ridiculousness、mm-hmm. that that our society is part of. Which is primarily based on what we're focusing on right now. So, for an individual comes into the room, and we start focusing more on what he or she is wearing rather than the way they comport themselves, 
were thrown off right at the beginning. Right. So how do you then help a person to be more discerning of what is relevant compared to what is peripheral? Well, as you mentioned, uh, you were talking about the family base and the way we're raised. The first thing to do is to really nurture independence. You have to nurture independent thinking, which means accepting things that aren't necessarily in line with yours and being able to discuss them. And also treating those that are in your circles similarly. In other words, give people the opportunity and have a more open approach and not be so stuck on your own ways or even examining your own values that were created from source family. Right. And it's not only what you were taught or raised with. It's also understanding that the world we live in is not the same world that existed when that was happening. So you may have to alter your approach to adapt to what is actually current and what is relevant now versus what was relevant 30, 40, 50 years ago. That's right. And so you have to kind of be a fluid warrior to adapt a term from Carlos Castaneda's books. To become a fluid warrior is to balance the wonder and terror of being a human being. Mm -hmm. And to do that, you have to be your own person. You have to rely on your inner strengths and your inner wisdom to discern what is true from what is untrue, what is beautiful from what is ugly, and ultimately what is right from what is wrong, if I can use those absolute terms. Yeah, and also... Sorry, Harry. Go ahead. And and also what that does is it creates a sense of freedom for individuals. And when individuals feel free, regardless of their viewpoint or opinion, they're more apt to listen. They don't feel encumbered. They don't feel restricted. And it just creates an atmosphere of cooperation rather than winning or losing. And it just generally bodes better for society on the whole. That's true, because when you think about it, a person who is not very self-reliant, who relies on external authorities for their information and for their viewpoints, would be likely more afraid in the face of somebody with a different viewpoint, afraid that they might be turned to a different direction because they're so reliant and so used to giving over their power, if you like, to the other Oh, for sure. They would fight that. So then they become entrenched in their own ideologies and viewpoints and are not free to be fluid and to move and to experience something different and try a different viewpoint on, try a different attitude, um, different experience. Sure. Anytime you have a fear-based thinking, you're inherently restricted. Mm -hmm. And sometimes that's the purpose of a lot of what's happening in our world. There is a kind of either direct or indirect message of be careful watch out. Don't do this. Don't do that. You're going to get slapped on the wrist. The inference is always kind of a punishment rather than a consequence. Yeah, yeah. And that's childhood again. The Inuit cultures, children are treated very differently than in mainstream uh, Western European culture, where children are allowed to be who they are and to play freely uh, compared to, you know, our children here mm-hmm. who have to have warnings on all their toys, all these dangers, so-called dangers lurking around every corner for our children here. It's a different culture there. And there are dangers there, too. In the world of the Inuit, there are dangers, too. But they don't seem to be as uptight about keeping their children close. And maybe it's because the cultures are a bit more communal. 
families take care of each other's children. It's not a matter of your child, my child, exactly. it's our child. It's an entire family. It's not an individual family. The community is representative of a family. That's right. I think we can apply these lessons from these inclusive cultures to our way of handling the world. Mm-hmm. So, for example, if I have some idea and there are five different viewpoints that are opposed to it in different ways, rather than excluding all those viewpoints on ideological grounds, if I included them all in my thinking, gave them all equal weight and assessed them as worthy of my attention, then I can discern what's relevant in each of those and what relates to what I feel might be the truth. Mm-hmm. So, So I think as a way of being in the world, inclusivity will help us find out what's relevant, what's true. It's interesting how no matter what we talk about and no matter what areas we address, how it always comes back to the most basic things, the comfort level of individuals, the freedom that opens up our minds, our worldview, that promotes our independence and our thinking We actually become more collaborative, more empathetic. It has nothing to do with a lot of the technology that we have. It has to do with those basic human instincts and feelings, which many of these systems are either corrupting or suppressing. Yeah, that's right. We have to, in a way, rise up against the machine. Pools of sorrow, waves of joy are drifting through my open mind, possessing and caressing me. Oh, bao de po pare no babo The Sill Podcast, Perspectives on Art and Technology, is a Connecting Dots Media production. Available at thesillpodcast.com. Thank you.